Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Patch Baker. Patch is a serial entrepreneur, expert marketer, investor, speaker, and has acquired a a unique set of skills through multiple acquisitions and business exits. His consulting clients range from Fortune 500 organizations to veteran-owned startups. Patch is a Marine Corps veteran and private security professional who turned his business... Uh, or turn businessman who has applied the honor, ethics, discipline, rigor, and determination required in his military life to fuel his success in business. Welcome, Patch. I'm glad to have you on here, man. I'm really excited to, to hear where we go with this thing today. Yeah, no, it's fun. I, I enjoy talking to you and hanging out with you, so I'm excited. Yeah, this is fun. Let's just start off with a little bit of an orange, uh, origin story, and uh, I, I always click the explicit, so just be true on... Unbridled, just be yourself, man. So, yeah. how in the hell did you go from active duty Marine Corps, you know, uh, private security, you know, Iraq? I mean, just like just a different world. I know I served that world myself, military intelligence on the Air Force side. Another story for another day. But um, how did you go from that space into like mergers and acquisitions and get to where you are now? Really, I, I tripped and fell into it. I didn't. I didn't know I was going to do this. Um, Interestingly enough, I was uh, I was doing contracting work after the military, and um, I ended up uh, meeting somebody that was uh, that basically said, "Hey, man, uh, I can make these videos, these really cool videos, but I don't know how to sell them." <laughs> and I said, "All right, well, I can sell them. You, you, um, you make them, and we'll make a bunch of money." Well, ended up not going that way <laughs> uh, in the long run, and some of that was just because. Um, you can make a really great video, but you put it on a page that gets no traffic and a Facebook that gets no traffic and a YouTube that gets no traffic. And the first thing they say is, well, the videos suck. I'm not getting any sales. And that's just not actually true. Nobody got a chance to see them. And so I kind of started um, videos. The only thing that I knew back then was that YouTube had videos. So I went on YouTube and tried to start figuring out how to get these things ranking and they did. And, you know, next thing you know, people were buying second and third and fourth videos. And that's kind of how it all started. And then over time, you know, we developed a marketing agency and we started doing more than just uh, videos um, because somebody said, you know, you can, you can put videos on Facebook now. And I was like, wait, what's the Facebook? <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, in the military, I didn't, I wasn't, really allowed to have uh, social media or anything like that. So um, I was, I was several years behind everybody else. Um, but I got on there and, and really started learning that part. And then uh, just kind of over time, I realized that I didn't like the agency model um, mainly because it doesn't matter how much you grow companies or, or um, you know, how much you return to them. It's always like, what did you do for me this month? Well, those platforms, I mean, it's unfortunate to say, but I don't own Google and Facebook. So if they change (laughs) something, like I don't have any control over that. And it was constantly like this 
client vendor relationship that I just absolutely hated. Uh, I didn't like anything about it, but we were being successful to the point that I was like, why don't we just do this for ourselves? Why don't we just, you know, why don't we just build our own stuff and not for nothing, but building a concept from scratch and doing everything um, to get it started is just, it's a lot of lag time. And so what I started doing was I started acquiring equity in companies in order to grow them, but then I got to participate in the exit. Whereas when it was the client vendor relationship, we were driving people to exit, but we didn't get so much as a steak dinner and we lost a client. So it was like the better we did, we just worked ourselves out of a job. And that was, that was just not a good thing for me. I, 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 I hated the idea that winning got you the adverse of what you want. Right. And so as we started acquiring companies and as we started, you know, really partnering with companies and, you know, having this, just expanding the team, um, it got really, really cool for me. And I kind of found my little, my little place in the world where I'm, I'm excited and uh, I, I remain excited because it, it we've gotten to, to somewhat of a scale, not nearly as, as much as I want, but we've gotten to a scale that I think we can sustain and, um, and expand upon. And that frequency really brings on new projects at a, at a faster level. And, you know, you've got one heading to exit and you've got one just starting out and that, that just feels it's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, it's never boring. <laughs> You know, we were talking before the show, and I, I think that your position, and correct me if I've done, you're done, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you've done well over 100 transactions already, business buying, selling, participating, advising, like the numbers above yeah. 100, right? Yeah. And, you know, not all that was, you know, my money and not all that, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't a majority shareholder in every single one of them. And, you know, uh, I had somebody... <laughs> I said that on another podcast and somebody was like, well, that's not exactly, well, okay, look, man, I'm, I'm, I participated in over a hundred. That's, that's what I said. You and, participated and, in. The reason I brought it up at all is I think you're uniquely positioned to cover some information here today that nobody else I've had on the show did. Let's like, let's look at some of like, you've done a lot of deals. You've been around a lot of people you're mm -hmm. involved in. And I'll just say it because I love the guy, Roland Frazier's epic, right? You're one yeah. of the top coaches there. You run masterminds and stuff. You're, you eat sleep and live this stuff yeah so let's talk about like you know you, stuff unique to that experience of doing the volume you've done and how does it separate i've got a lot of people in the show that have talked about how do you look at what the big boys are doing the million dollar deals i mean, not million the billion dollar deals and the hundred billion dollars yeah. deals and how do you put those systems and processes and the way they integrate down to the level of you know mom and pop shops buying companies under 10 million dollars and we were talking about this, this before the show. It may not absolutely be the best thing to do to try to mirror their systems of process. No, so a lot of their integrations fail, right? I, so I think it's total BS. I mean, I, I'm being a little PC, uh, but I really do think that a lot of those systems and processes that they're trying to emulate um, are actually very antiquated. Um, most of the books on the subject that I've read and um, I'm an audible kind of guy, so I I've listened to a lot of them and, um, I pick them apart and 
that might sound really cocky. I mean, I don't, I don't know. These guys have done billion dollar deals and kudos to them. I appreciate, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that have made a lot of things that made a lot of money that I don't necessarily like, but kudos to them for being an entrepreneur and figuring it out. But I think a lot of the books were written in, you know, the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. And unfortunately they were working off of a, a system that is not, that is no longer true, right? They were doing mountains of paperwork on spreadsheets and they were, you know, manually doing what, what would be considered an algorithm these days. And they were building these models like the Monte Carlo model. And, you know, there's a bunch of, of systems that they applied and yes, it worked, but what they don't tell you is there's a bunch of shit that we have now that they didn't have like the internet, <laughs> right? Like we can parse audiences now in a way that never could have, could have happened before. We can reuse past purchasers in a way that they couldn't do before. Um, unless they were doing like postcards and mailers. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, you don't really know who's at that mailbox, right? They, they know if they send out, you know, a hundred percent of whatever number they're going to get 5% participation and that that's okay. But here's the thing in my world, I am not trying to recreate the wheel in any form, but I'm trying to be efficient at being effective <laughs> And that is, you know, probably one of the things that made us kind of rethink how, what acquisition targets were. And um, most of the guys that wrote those books, and like you said, they were doing billion dollar transactions. Well, that's cool, but the amount of things that have to happen in order to take in order to get an, a billion dollar acquisition are so far above what a normal person is going to do. I mean, you think about it. Some of those acquisitions actually had to get cleared through Congress, right? Like some things they had to do a whole new level. Well, there's a bunch of acquisition courses out there now and it's becoming a hot space and it's, you know, Roland does a really, really good job at, you know, kind of breaking it down to the basics, which I really appreciate. I've, you know, I am an instructor for him, but I also have gone through his course a lot and I've talked to him a lot and um, Chris Daigle and, and some of the other guys over there. Um, I've, we've just talked a lot about the difference between a regular today acquisition and the acquisitions that were happening when the books were written are very, very, very different. It, it's not real data because they weren't doing the things that they were supposed to be doing. And it's not their fault. Maybe they were just good at de delivering a service or designing a product or developing a, a, a system that was completely different from the business that they actually own and operate. And so what everybody believes, they're all going for these unicorns, right? Things that pay on day one, things that have been profitable, you know, with high MRR, 
monthly recurring revenue for uh, 24, the last 24 months. You know, taxes are 100% in order. Uh, P&L is 100% perfect. And I know people that if, if a P&L is inaccurate, for whatever reason, even if it's due to un, uh, uneducated P&L designers, right? Like you got somebody that's just trying to do it because they saw it on a website and they mess it up. And I know people that will walk away from that deal because the owner's being dishonest. No, they just, they gave it their best shot and they don't know what they're doing. So they messed it up. So they don't have the money to go out and, and buy, you know, to get really great consultants or really great salespeople. They just don't have the, it's called ammunition. They don't have the ammunition to keep upping the, how fast they get to the market or how much they can grow their company. Doesn't mean that they're not great. I think that's where the real power of the small uh, businesses, the, the people that can take the first steps to get something up and running and sell it to people beyond just their, you know, local friends and family and, and just address the market, take enough steps to get there, but then um, be able to, to get experts to come in and start scaling it because you can scale that to exit way faster than I can go out and just start new businesses. And I, I basically, it's like a bolt on. It's like I take my team and my stuff and I bolt it on to those companies. And all of a sudden it's like, instead of them they're they, they've got a shiny outside. It looks like a Ferrari, right? It, it's, it, it, maybe it didn't look like a Ferrari. Maybe it looks like a, like a high end Honda, but it's still on Pinto, um, you know, frame. It's different than a lot of the bigger VC firms that they're just doing. They don't call them this, but they're just rolling up a bunch of like and kind things, not for the purpose of exiting them, but for the purpose of exiting the conglomerate by selling it to a bigger VC. And that to me is not, uh, it's, it's not the spirit in which I operate. I'm trying to do it at the individual level. And do I win everyone? No, I don't, but neither do those big conglomerates either. So that's kind of where I, where I kind of start my thinking on it. You know, I think, you know, last year, I think alone, I spoke to well over 200 businesses through one of those mm-hmm. roll-ups, right? Yeah. And um, I love origin stories. So it always comes up in at least one of the first couple of calls is like, how did you start this? More often than not, when you refer to yourself as an accidental entrepreneurial, you know, you kind of stumbled into it. Almost everyone, these are all marketing agencies, but I talked to other businesses outside of that too. More often than not, business owners didn't sit down one day, go to business school, get an MBA, create a business plan and start a business. More yeah. often than not, they basically seen a wrong in the world they could do right, you know, a product they could improve, an idea they'd like to try out, or they were just really good at something. Somebody asked them to do it, and the next thing I know, another guy did, and another guy did, and they, they, they stumbled into it. And to yeah. ask those people to have perfectly squeaky clean, you know, um, you know, auditable books, 
I, I get you, man. I, I get where a lot of people are overstepping really good ideas, really good businesses for the lack of, you know, they're told that the PL should look this way. And if it's not, they're probably hiding something. So, yeah. And I think it also goes to the fact that when they are trying to raise money, they go to people on social media who don't know what they're talking about. And they try to emulate that thing, right? Um, I was talking to a person the other day and they were like, you know, I went to this mastermind and I really feel like um, an imposter because I don't have a purpose. I don't have a, I don't have a story. Now this person is 24 years old and I'm like, you don't need a purpose. You don't need you know, everybody wants these mission, vision, values. And look, it's okay to be a young person and be like, I want to make money. <laughs> and that's okay, right? Um, this particular person, they make a, a plastic-based product. It's it's a, it, I will, it's not really a consumable, but it is something that somebody's going to buy for about a year and then they're going to need another one. Um, and the crazy thing is that these people are making this person feel like they're not serving the market or feel like they're not doing something properly or not real. That is not true. And, you know, I'm not a young buck anymore and I don't know my vision from day to day. Right. I'm, I'm kind of a visionary. So mine changes as I learn new stuff and as I do new things and as I get more experience. Um, but I think that, you know, sometimes we get held back by people that love us the most in weird ways. And that's unfortunate because most of the time they're leading them in the wrong direction because they're regurgitating something else that they heard from somebody else that didn't know what they were talking about. And it's, I, I'm not going to put it in the category of fake news, but I think genuinely people are trying to be helpful, but they don't even know what they don't know in many respects. So what you're left with is you're left with a business owner that is up and coming, let's say they've had some market penetration. They're going to um, people that are giving a lot of um, advice that is just pushing them in the wrong direction. Like if you're going to go out and raise money, you need to have a really good PL. You need to have a good, really good pro forma. You have, you need to have a really good mission, vision values. You need to have to. And although that stuff is cool, I would rather somebody come to me and say, you know what? I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. I tripped and and fell into this business, it took off. I'm at the spot where I'm really good at delivering the product or service. Everything beyond that, I just kind of suck at. Because no, <clears throat> there are so many people that if they just said that, would find the right people very quickly. If somebody just comes to the right investor and says, you know what? I make a hell of a widget. The rest <laughs> right. of it, I, I, yeah, I, I make a hell of a widget. The best widget to do X there is. And I don't know the rest of it. Yeah. You know? Charlie Munger just said, uh, uh, famously, <laughs> he said, if, um, uh, if you ever read the word EBITDA, 
just substitute that for some bullshit somebody filled in on his paper. <laughs> right? Because it's it's that, so I, I use that one a lot. So yeah, it's so true. I mean, yeah. look, we're it, there's a certain game that gets played in acquisitions. The same way it's the same game that gets played when you sell a car or you sell a house, right? The buyer is trying to get the most for the least. And the seller is trying to get the most for the least, right? So it's like, if we can just start there and say, look, we're, we're both playing. Let's say you and I are going to uh, acquire a company together. And, or let's say I'm trying to acquire your company and we're going to have this discussion and you're going to say things like, well, I've been doing this for seven years. Well, here's the problem. I don't care what you did for seven years because you've been doing it wrong for seven years. So that is of no value to me just because you've been doing it a long time. I do appreciate the time and the energy and the missed birthdays and the late evenings and the weekends. And like, I appreciate that. I'm not that, but that's what got us the conversation. It does not also build value in your company. What I'm telling you is I appreciate what you built to this point, but what you built to this point is just a widget that you have not gotten to market in a way that makes it sexy for me. So I'm going to help you do that. I'm asking you to continue making that widget, but I'm not interested in the last seven years. And, you know, people do not understand that the length of time, unless you're talking about 150 year old business, the length of time does not matter. And if we want to break this down um, for the listeners, you think about this. If you had a company that's seven years old, in the first two years, it grew to a million dollars in total revenue in the year. And then year two through seven, it did a million dollars or thereabouts for six consecutive years. Is there any more value in year seven than there was in year two? And the answer is there's actually less value because the value that was being created between year one and year two created growth at a scale at, at scale to a million bucks. If you got in on that year two, you're like, look, this thing has been going since the day I started until now it's still on upward trajectory. That is a much different conversation than I got from year one to year two at a million bucks. And then I flatline for the next six years. It's less valuable. So don't make that a key part of your pitch because there's no value there. You're actually detracting value. You know, in the side of this, the other side of it, the distracting value is that, you know, it's, there's that story that goes, well, I've already done it. I've always done it this way. This is like, especially in the get over 10 years, they oh, go, yeah. well, we've been doing this for 10 years this way. Like, yeah, okay. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not working anymore. Right. And they, you're they, not getting the result that you want. Yeah. You know, I had a company, they've been doing things. the same thing for 63 years or whatever. They've been in business for 63 years. I was like, yeah, you're still like, you don't have a decent website. You're still pre-internet. Right. Yeah. That was a manufacturing type of, or a concrete type of thing. But just because you've always done something a certain way, there's two things that rub me wrong that I've done this uh, X number of years this way. This is the way it works. Eh, not necessarily true. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not necessarily true anymore. And the yeah. second is, is people trying to sell you on coulda, woulda, shoulda. 
you know, yeah. which means that like, if you do this, you're going to triple your revenue. And I want a piece of that. You know, they, they, they're thinking that, you know, they're this close to landing that, you know, billion dollar client and that's going to make right. the business worth more. You should pay some equity towards that, this closeness. And uh, so I, I'm not interested you know in coulda, woulda. You know, what's really funny is um, they say that, you know, lots of people get out, uh, get out of business or try to sell their business because of burnout or they leave an industry because of burnout. Uh, the truth of it is, is that burnout only happens when you're not getting the result from the perceived input. So like, for example, if you're working 80 hours a week and you're not getting the result, your perceived uh, situation is I'm working really, really hard, twice the normal amount of a 40 hour work week, and it's not working. That does not mean that you are actually doing the effective things to grow the company. So that's the only time that burnout happens. I've never seen somebody that is just straight skyrocketing that's like, oh man, I'm so burnt out. You know, it, nobody does that. And you have to be real with yourself too. If you're getting burned out, it legit is because you continue to do the wrong things, expecting a different result. Um, here's another fun, fascinating fact that I think is kind of key to how we approach deals that is very different than a lot of the books will tell you. Um, a lot of the books will say things like niche down, but I think that that is a really terrible idea these days. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is a lot of the niching down stuff happened after world war two. And the reason why it happened was because they were taking a lot of military members that uh, were coming back from the war that had a skill that a newly acquired skill that they learned while they were in the military. And then the goal was to set up these businesses, grab all those people and put them directly into something that correlated to what they did while they were in the military. And the whole idea behind that was you do very little, um, you have to do very little training. They already understand the concept of the widget that you're making. So uh, here's another thing. When, when the gurus are saying niche down, the reason that they say that and the reason that they keep saying it, even though it's not, really real anymore is because it's a good way to get somebody to take forward action in a focused area. So it sounds good. If I can say, you know, really niche down on the customer avatar. Do you need to know a customer avatar? Sure. But do you know how many companies that I've walked into and I say, Hey, who's your customer avatar? And they're like, it's this person. Exactly. And then we end up doing split tests and it's a whole different area where we get the most press, right? The most, when I say press, I mean the most growth. Um, and so there's these like misunderstood areas of, of the market. There's these, these areas that people will say that's going to fail. There's no way that's going to work. And then lo and behold, it does, Right. Today, unlike ever before in history, we can take that same thing that says dentist, we can copy paste, 
We can change the word from dentist to chiropractor. We can do that again. And we can make sure that the people that saw the dentist one never see the chiropractor one. And the people that see the chiropractor never see the dentist one. And now it's like, okay, we're playing in a whole different world that does not follow the, the normal acquisition models for new customers. It does not follow the normal acquisition model for companies. It does not follow the standard of what mergers have become. And yes, there are still mergers, you know, AT&T and Sprint, they merge. That's a merger. That's a real thing. But the name mergers and acquisitions is because it used to be only massive companies did this. And the merger part was the most important, not the acquisition part. It typically went like this. Two big companies merged together and acquired all the competition in the area. That's why they call it mergers and acquisitions. But now there is a whole new breed of entrepreneur that is going out and the acquisitions part is the biggest part. So it should be acquisitions and mergers because what it or acquisitions and bolt-ons, however you want to consider that, um, where you're acquiring companies, you're merging or, or bolting on assets that they don't have that become a core functional part of that company that also the systems and processes go to the next person that acquires that company and they have a system and a process and a structure that they continue to follow and the company should continue to grow even after it's acquired in, in numerous ways, not just one way, not just through customer acquisition, but it should also be their product group, their services offered their, I mean, it should be a bunch of things. So in the, in the big mergers and acquisitions world, the billion dollar companies, they acquire for strategic purposes also. But when you're, when you're referring to bolt on, that's something that's done at all levels. And I think yeah. it's something that's a little over overseen. Um, you know, I've talked to business owners left and right. And one of the conversations is like, they're not when quite you say ready. overseen. You mean overlooked? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Overlooked. Yeah. 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 Okay. But uh, so the, you know, I'm, I'm talking to business owners on a regular basis and I, I cold reach. I don't just go to biz by selling those kind of crappy websites that are listed by brokers. I reach out to things I'm interested in and have, you right. know, fun conversations with business owners and say, Hey, where do you want to be? And a lot of them don't see the possibility of growing their revenue, like a concrete company growing their revenue because they buy the rebar distributor. The guy that buy, they're buying this ton of rebar from them. The guy's 80 years old. He's going to sell it to somebody. He should probably consider buying those guys and making them strategic asset to your, to your company. You run it, you let it run on its own. They give you a, a discount. You know, they sell it to you at rate. And then you help them grow. You put your systems process. They don't see that bolt on. They, I don't think that the normal business owner, the the mom and pop, you know, there's million of, millions of these guys out there have been trained in what does it look like to grow through acquisition other than I buy one of my competitors and I do the exact same thing I do for their customers, right? This yeah. bolt on thing that you and I talk about that's taught in all these courses that, you know, the, the Roland Fraser's Epic and all these other different things that are out there, that bolt on you know, mentality of that, okay, this may not be exactly the same product and I'm not selling my widget to their customers, mm-hmm. but if I acquire them, I mean, it boosts my revenue, gives me another, you know, asset to, to, to grow with and, you know, cuts my expenses. 
I, I really believe that's overseen. I think it's a, a lacking in, in the normal mindset of these, you know, what I call accidental entrepreneurs. They, they know how to create a widget. They created a widget that started to sell and now they're, they're, they're stuck. Or like, I think when I hear burnout, you were talking about burnout earlier. I see them as, okay, they've taken it as far as they think they can take it. And that's what's burning them yeah. out. They're, they're, they're putting in more hours thinking if I do the more of the same thing I've always done, yeah. then I'll, I'll break through this, whatever this obstacle is, this mental block or whatever, you know, there's, there's something blocking them. And that's how they interpret it. Like, Hey, I, I just so, don't, I don't think I can grow any further. I've done everything I can do. So I got another, uh, mental mind twister for you. Okay. Most people want to acquire companies that they know about, right? However, I think that is one of the silliest things you can do in many ways. And it's, it, you have to open your brain to hear what I'm about to say. I'm, I'm, I'm on my seat. That, edge of the seat here. What do you got? <laughs> in that if you're in the dry cleaning industry, you acquire a company in the dry cleaning industry, and then you put the same exact systems that haven't grown your company on that company. Whereas if you didn't know anything about dry cleaning and I partner with that person and I'll say, you know, why can't we do this? And they're like, I don't know. I never really thought about that before. It's because I got a clean brain. I don't know. I'm not trapped in the day to day of their business. I'll tell you something else that consultants all over the world don't want me to say out loud, um, but it is a truism. The thing that makes most, I mean, and we're going to use the baseline that the consultant actually knows what they're talking about, right? They're not just BS people. They're, they actually know. The thing that makes them so strong is the fact that they don't care how long you spent to build this website, they don't, they didn't spend the nights and weekends. They don't care about the, um, about the people in the organization the same way. And not to say that they don't care about humanity. I'm just saying there are entrepreneurs everywhere that still have people on staff that are nothing but a debt center for the company. Whereas the consultant can be like person number a or person letter a did X amount of sales Person B did not nearly as many, but has been there three times as long. You need to get rid of person B. Oh, well, that's my cousin. Well, I don't care that that's your cousin. I care that your sales staff is not equally operating using the same exact system. Now, there are certain fundamentals of business that you have to understand, but when you understand them, they apply to every single business. I don't care what the business is. The company needs to generate income. They have to do that through sales. They typically have more sales when they have educated sales staff and they have a good marketing system. That is just the way it is. Now, if you fundamentally understand those things from a base level, you can apply that to a bank, to a concrete company, to a food company, to a widget company, to a CPA firm, to a PR company. Like you can apply that to every company. The crazy thing is, is that there's industries that I'm going into that I don't know anything about it. Um, like, um, let me give you an example. Like, um, I don't know, like a print company. I don't know how to print a shirt. 
I don't care. I know that shirts have to be made to a certain level of, of uh, uh, expertise in order to generate this amount of dollars coming in, which equals this amount of profit for the company. I don't need to know how to make shirts. I don't need to know how to make knives. I don't need to know how to do CPA services. I don't need to, I don't need to know that. I need the person that does that to stay in the company and let me go do all the things that they don't know how to do. Let them continue to be the expert in their field. Let me do all the things that I'm, you know, keep us both in our power zone. And I think again, that, that idea that if you niche down, if you do one thing and you do a really well, that you will be successful. And quite honestly, it's small brain thinking and you, you're not giving yourself enough credit in many respects. There's this weird thinking that in order for you to be successful in business, you need to understand every aspect of business. And that simply is not true. And that counts for me too. I don't know everything about how my businesses operate. And here's the cool thing. I don't care. I truly don't. If something is going wrong, I have systems and processes and people that will go, hey, you need to come over here and look at this. We're 2% down and we've tried these three things and it's not working. What do you got? And I go mess around in that business until we figure that thing out. Am I going to have the right answer every single time on the first try? Nope. Do I even care if I'm 100% accurate every single time? Nope, I don't. Here's the thing that really changed the way that I uh, look at things. It's, it is, you, you talked about this in the very beginning and we haven't spoken on it, but what I learned in the military, I do really apply to business. And I've had a lot of people, you know, try to take, you know, they try to take this out of context, but he hear me out on this. The military is, I'm talking about the U.S. military. The U.S. military has a mission that cannot fail, and it's built and designed on a system and a process that is designed to transition out every single member of every single unit every three years, either through attrition because they get you know, you have boot camp and then, you know, SOI or MCT and, and the Marine Corps, and then you have school. So it takes you about a year to get to what we call the fleet. And your first duty station typically is three years. Now you're either going to get out or you're going to stay in, but one way or another, you're leaving that duty station. What other company in the world could train, could change out a hundred percent of their personnel at a location every three years and still operate at a hundred percent where every where, week somebody's leaving and so many new is coming in every single week, almost every couple of days, somebody's leaving and somebody new is coming in. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's crazy when that, when they have such a, a high responsibility of mission completion that the only way that they can actually make that work is because Every single person is trained the exact same way on every single thing. We say the same things. We do the same cadences. We do like even, you know, we had what we call ditties, right? And ditties are just things that you say 
um, that get everybody thinking the same way all the time. And you have to memorize these things. It's like locate, close with, and destroy the enemy by use of fire and maneuver. Well, that's war fighting, right? But every single Marine can say that back to you, right? And that's by design. It's by design that every single person knows the same exact steps to get the same exact end result every single time. Well, if you start applying that to business, what you really quickly find out is that most people that are in business for any length of time, they are doing the things through memory instead of through a process. And then they say things like, well, nobody can do it in the business as good as I can, or I can't find good help or no. What you really need to be saying is you need to take a close look at yourself and say, I'm not being a good leader. I am not developing a system and a process that other people can follow to get the same result that I get when I do it. And that building of the process is hard and it's tedious and it is a lot of trial and error. But the way that you do this is, you know, you can use a PowerPoint for this. I use draw.io, um, which is free service. I've got no, uh, no affiliation with them, but um, I use this all the time. Uh, it's a Google, uh, you can get to it through your Google um, account. But basically what it does is it's just like step one, step two, step three. And then what I would do is I would say, hey, can you look at this and tell me what you think it says? And if you say this is what it says and that's not anywhere close to what I want, I don't tell you what I want it to say. I go back and I change that thing. And then I say, hey, what do you think this says? And when you say, I think it says this and you say, exactly. Now you go on to the next step, right? When people do that, and, and Thomas Edison said, if you don't understand it well enough to explain it to a sixth grader, you don't understand it well enough yourself. And that's the problem. Most business owners do not understand it well enough themselves. They've got some other core skill that they are not giving credit to. If you can, if you can break that down into words on a piece of paper, not through explanation, but if you put it on a piece of paper, what you find out is you have to learn more about what you're doing to get the result that you're getting. And that is where I've been really, really, um, I don't know. It's I've changed a lot of companies and the way they operate, because when I tell them to write it down on a piece of paper and they can't, and then I have to go on this like fishing exploration and, and, and get investigative work to, to figure out what they're doing and how they're doing it. And then I'm saying, not only do you need to be able to explain it to me, but you got to be able to write it down on a piece of paper. They start getting really clear on what they're saying, how they're saying, how they're positioning, how they're creating a problem for a person that they might not know, might not know that they even have. And then their product or their service is the solution to that thing. But there are a bunch of other ways to do that too. It's not just that because that's the easy one. There, there's a whole bunch of more uh, complex ways that you can explain to somebody, hey, I love what you've done this far, but let's try this for a couple of days and see how it works. And what you find is they start 
you're, 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 it's kind of like inception marketing, right? You're planting this idea and then you're letting it be their plan. <laughs> but what happens is they get this buy-in. They get this understanding that maybe there are a couple ways to skin a cat. Maybe there are a couple different unique vantage points that, that I haven't looked at the company from. And the fastest way to understand your business is to fire yourself from as many jobs as possible. Because if you can do that, you get to take on the role of the consultant for your own company. You're out of the day-to-day. You're not seeing, you're not getting burned out. You're not getting um, stuck in the, the semantic arguments that are happening about we should do this or we should do that. What's happening is you're looking at the outcome and then you're trying to go back and adjust the system to get the result. And that's where you get on a whole new level of um, business. And it's how you kind of open your brain to bringing on those other bolt-on features that we were talking about earlier that genuinely throw, you know, it's not even gasoline. It's like you're throwing jet fuel on the little smoldering thing that you have that's got some potential to be a fire. But probably not going to be a raging fire until you start getting into this mentality. I love it. You know, when I was in the military, uh, one of the things I did for military, I did military intelligence for the air force and they would bring new computer systems. And it was my job to figure them out and create a process and document the steps that needed to use that system to do our job. And I took that document and I handed it, you know, now this is military intelligence to be in our room. You had to have a fairly decent score. You, you had to be able to pass a test really well. One of the things I think it really helps you to do is when you do go to exit, now you've got, you know, systems, processes, repeatable, you know, you're, you're delving in this world that's not necessarily perfect and selling it off to people who kind of expect a little more perfection. And you're exactly. going to get a bit of premium for that. So. Yeah, they, they do. When you have systems and processes for every single thing, I mean, everything from like who your vendor is, when do you reorder, you know, reorder points and cogs for every single thing. And you can go down all the way to the penny of how profit is made in the, the company. There are really good um, ways to do this. Most people don't have these skills. And to be quite honest with you, um, my CPA has taught me so much about, but I don't have, you know, the $300 at the end of the year CPA. I've got the, you know, more expensive than that per month CPA. <laughs> and, um, you know, he has taught me things about spreadsheets that I never thought I wanted to know. But when you start seeing a spreadsheet that has a hundred tabs on it, because we are calculating every single product, every single marketing dollar, every single shipping dollar, every single um, ancillary thing like electricity in the building, the ink that we use on the printer. How do we how do we save two cents by not printing this thing out, but doing a uh, a laser sticker? And you start really understanding the aspects of your business down to the penny. And you start shaving off, you know, four cents on every package that goes out the door, but you're doing a hundred thousand packages a month. That's a lot of money. Like that is a lot of money, especially when we're going to do that across 3000 things in a manufacturing facility. 
And I say this to everybody, even if you have a legacy company, and what I mean by legacy is you want to pass it down to your kids, your grandkids, you want it to be around forever and ever and ever. If you're not designing it so that it can be sold and you don't have the systems and processes so that the next owner could replace your entire staff and still have a productive day on day one of their ownership, you do not have it. But if you do have it, your company is worth 10, 20, 30 times sometimes what it would be without it. And people don't understand the value of it. But when you start tapping into it and you start seeing the numbers on paper, wait, the same amount of work that we did before, even on a crippled system, is now 10% more profitable because we just did cost savings measures by putting in a system and a process. Wait, what? Wait, if we restructure the company and get it out of being an LLC, all of a sudden we can save 30% on taxes. What? Wait, we can, we can, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things like that. We can renegotiate our shipping cost and save 20%. Wait, we can renegotiate our manufacturing costs and save 10%. Well, Dude, like very quickly, you're at 60% increased profit margin. That company that you did in the that you revamped in the last 90 days is worth 10 times what it was 90 days ago. Right? I got and people it, just don't spend any time on it because they don't know the value. Well, we are at the top of the hour, man. And uh, I, I, this is an hour show or an hour and one minute, but I just, I hate to cut you off because it's just a wealth of knowledge. Let's make sure everybody knows how to get a hold of you. I, it's in the show notes, but I'm going to put this up. You're going to verify it for me there. Hopefully that'll, I clicked on it. Show. There it goes. Oh, if I quit clicking it, it'll catch up with us. There you go. So uh, that's your LinkedIn. Is that, yep. where, is there a different way? Uh, on the show notes, I went ahead and included your, uh, your patchbaker.com yep. and, and other, other ways to get a hold of you that you have on your LinkedIn profile. But, uh, man, I really appreciate having you here. I wish we, you know, maybe we, one of these days I should do a two hour show or something. Yeah. That, <laughs> we just get into these great conversations. I honestly think that there's a lot of value here for people today. Uh, I'd love to have you back sometime in the future. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about some success stories and some more stories, right? Like, we, yeah. you know, Everybody loves to hear about something that, that, that won, but there's a lot of lessons to, to learn from something that didn't go so well. So yeah. uh, maybe we, we look at that in the future. I do appreciate having you here. If, if, before we go, if you could leave everybody with just like one or two key takeaways, what would that be? Well, I think just taking the next step is probably one of the hardest things. Um, I, I had a, a person... Um, that worked for a very large company that brought me in as a consultant and they got their team together. And I, I said, Hey, look, tell me, tell me how the system works. And for four hours, they told me how the system works. And for the next four hours, I tore apart everything that they had said. <laughs> and it was uh, pretty painful for a lot of people in the room. The cool thing is 30 days later, we had a follow-up discussion and the guy said to me something that I thought was really cool. He said, dude, we've done more in the last 30 days than we have in the last three years. And I said, this is the cool part about that. It had nothing to do with me. You guys were just focused on something and you actually started taking the next step forward. So you don't have to win every single thing, right? If we're talking about like the game of football, 
You don't have to get a touchdown on every single play. You just got to keep moving towards the end zone. So if you just take some steps to start doing, start small, right? Look at your calendar at the end of the week and go back and edit. This is tip number two. Go back and edit every meeting that you have on your calendar. Don't change what it says just before the title. Put in the dollar amount that you earned during that call. And you will quickly see that you are spending a lot of time busy being busy instead of trying to be efficient at being effective. And so Funny, I would say those two. Is a you and I see a lot of things eye to eye. Maybe it's because we both have, both have military experience. But the funny thing I used to do in the corporate world, and it really ticked people off, is, you know, I come into a new company and, you know, there's all these standard meetings we'd have every freaking week. I would, because I was a senior director level, I knew everybody that worked there. Most of them worked for me. Even the guys in the other department, I could get the info. I would run a run Italia what the meeting cost. And I would send right. that invoice to all the managers, like my if I had other managers, you asked for your guy to be here. This is what it cost your department. That wasn't yeah. a bill, but it was kind of like an invoice rundown. It's yeah. like this, you know, some of these meetings, especially in bigger companies, you know, a, a two hour meeting could cost a company 30, 40, 50 grand. Yeah. Right. And, and then, crazy. you know, it, it's, it's crazy, you know, and, uh, you know, you got 60 people in a room because they think that's what needs to be happening. And they're having it all hands that tell them something that could have went out on a freaking email yeah. that adds up fast. Right. Yeah. For and, sure. To send the, the the executives the bill every for every meeting. I had I had two uh, assistants. Their job was to to take the attendance. We already kind of had a running number for it. Every single meeting we had, we we would send out an invoice. Yeah, and um, just to, just to kind of show people the meetings cut down. More emails went out, and I'm a big fan of just knowing, you know knowing what you're getting done. Is it you know what what value was really inside of something? So. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll echo that sentiment. Um, track what you're doing, track what it's, what it's adding value to or distracting uh, you from, and uh, it'll move forward. I thank you for having you on the show, man. Um, it, look forward to, to, you know, we, we cross paths in many circles. So I look forward to seeing you around there. Yeah, and, and, and uh, if you ever need anything from me, just reach out. I'm, I'm here. I'll, I'll do anything I can to help you move forward. All you right. Got it. Thank I'll you. i in the show now. Thank you everybody for being on the show. Hang out just for just a second. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to tiepm.com. That's T I E pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind.